Well, that was a ridiculous video, wasn't it? <laughs> Earlier. Uh, I do want to say I do get to work with an amazing team. Uh, JD and Lynn and all of the students who are a part of the office, it just really makes it an amazing place to be. And uh, we really do hope that what we get to do together spills out and gets to be a part of helping shape the ENC community in a way of unity and in a way of love and in a way of uh, just teamwork. And that does take work. And uh, we're so thankful for that. As you know, we are focusing on the Lord's Prayer uh, this semester. And the Lord's Prayer, uh, we can find it in the Gospel of Luke. We can find it in the Gospel of Matthew. And the more full version that's more reflective of the version we're used to praying uh, in our various church traditions, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is is a little bit closer to that. Uh, But we've been going through different steps. And uh, I want... I want to remind you that we are looking at various aspects of the Lord's Prayer uh, throughout the semester. And today, we're looking uh, particularly at the beginning of it. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. More specifically, our Father in heaven. But I want to take a moment and just read uh, out of Matthew for you, uh, just so you can be reminded of, of this passage. And so it comes in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he goes on to say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others for their sins, forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It gets pretty intense. Jesus teaches us to, to pray in a particular way. And I think this structure that he gives us in the Lord's Prayer can actually be helpful for the structure of our prayers even beyond praying the Lord's Prayer in our regular daily lives. And I don't know if you remember this, but we said that we were going to look at various movements. And this beginning part of the prayer, it is a movement in which we're called to orient our lives towards the kingdom. These opening words show that something unique is happening when we go to the triune God in prayer. This claim, this turn to God and saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But the reality is to get at some of the significance of that. When Jesus says, this then is how you pray, and he begins to really get at the significance of that, we do have to take a look at what goes on before Jesus gets there. And in the Gospel of Matthew, the whole Gospel of Matthew, I mean, it's about who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. And it moves quickly from Jesus' birth to Jesus' baptism as an adult. And the person who was there baptizing people in the story was thrown off and Jesus approached him. And when Jesus asked to be baptized, because he knew who Jesus was. And in many ways, he was right to be thrown off. In Matthew 3, it says that right when Jesus came up from the water, the Spirit of God descended on him, and a voice from heaven declared, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And it is in this moment in Matthew's gospel narrative that it becomes clear that Jesus has this unique relationship with God. Jesus relates to God as child, and God to Jesus' parent. 
Jesus relates to God as one who inherits what God has. Jesus relates to God as one who reflects who God is. But then the narrative continues, and we begin seeing Jesus talking to the disciples and crowds about how they can be related to God as children as well, and how God is their heavenly Father. And actually, Jesus says the strangest thing in Matthew 5.48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know what you think of when you hear something like that. You know, I could imagine someone taking a passage like that and thinking about what it means to be a good parent. For example, Jenny and I were at the airport this summer, and airports are doing this thing now where they're trying to be really, like, child-friendly, and so they create these little fun places where children can play and these little activities and companies do these things so that children have something to do. And so we see this, like, uh, this cardboard cutout of a T-Rex It's about like this tall with this little space for you to put your kid's face and take a picture. And so we did that. We were like, oh, this is cool. Like we have a child. We might as well do this. I think we have a picture of that. And so, you know, (laughs) we put our face in there, you know, and we're like, sweet. You know, and we're feeling good about it because, you know, um, you know, she's excited apparently. And then as we get ready to take the picture, she even poses. I think the next picture is her getting ready for an actual posed smile. See, see that? It's very cute. There we go. You know, before we had children, we didn't even think much about those things, uh, about all the ways these companies try to attract kids. But there we are, feeling like good parents, doing what good parents do. But then after the fun pictures were over, I go to remove Sophie's face, and I realize that her head was stuck. (laughs) And so we have a picture of that. And so, uh, so there I am trying to yank my daughter's head out of the mouth of a T-Rex and trying to make sure no one notices, you know. So every once in a while, I'll kind of look and then smile and just (laughs) yank, all yank there. And after I do that a few times, there's no luck and, you know, people get suspicious. I'm getting all these dirty looks, very appalled moms in the airport. And I don't know what they were thinking, but I'm sure it had nothing to do with our Heavenly Father. (laughs) And it didn't help that Jenny started screaming, help, no, just kidding. <laughs> she didn't really do that, but that would be funny. If she was like, help! <laughs> uh, no, actually, you can tell that rather than screaming help or even helping, she just decided to take pictures because she thought it would be hilarious that, um, that our daughter's head was stuck in the mouth of a T-Rex. Um, you know, it's a good thing Matthew's gospel isn't simply talking about avoiding epic parent fails. Uh, in the call to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, there is a place for talking about our heavenly Father. I guess we can take the picture down. There is a place for talking about... (laughs) I think our daughter who's here is like, wait, what? (laughs) Um, There is a place for talking about how our heavenly Father uh, is, uh, in many ways, this caring parent and... You know, this parent that cares in a way that's beyond how we could even dream our parents could care for us. Um, I mean, that's a major part of Christian spirituality. We see it play out in various aspects of Scripture. But, you know, Matthew is really doing something slightly different here with the Sermon on the Mount and with the Lord's Prayer. He's actually emphasizing how God is fair and how God is just and how God is outward-focused. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount leading up to the Lord's Prayer 
is all about how Christ followers ought to relate to each other and to everyone else. And he talks more and more about God as Heavenly Father the closer he gets to the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want you to listen uh, to the part where he talks specifically about being children of the Heavenly Father. It's just eight verses before the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and it should be on the screen. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In Matthew, being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is about loving our enemies. Jesus is saying if you're going to be identified as a child of God, then you need to live out the most countercultural and distinct thing about our Heavenly Father. That is that our Heavenly Father does not preserve all the necessities of life and all the good things of life just for those who follow Him. God does not even preserve his love only for those who follow him. Both evil, both the evil and the good experience of sunrise, both the righteous and the unrighteous experience rain to grow their crops. God's love transcends the boundaries we create between insiders and outsiders. To be known as a child of God is to love in the way God loves. And that means loving our enemies. And that love is actualized and put into practice by praying for your enemies to experience the good things of life. I mean, Jesus makes it very clear right there. He says to do that. For your enemies to experience the love of God. You know, I think this is actually opposite of the message we hear every day. Society shapes us to complain about the people we have a hard time with to respond with some sort of negative attitude, to even try to embarrass them, and then expect everyone to support us in those very negative actions. And if there's any prayer involved, it's about helping me get through this difficult situation with them. I don't know if you, if you know what I'm talking about, but it's, it's real. It re- kind of reminds me of a line from a popular contemporary poet. You may recognize the words. The poet says the following. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. They're trying to take a wave from me. (laughs) They're messing with me, so I need everyone who listens to pop music in this lame radio station to pray for me. No. Well, obviously, if you recognize the words, you probably notice that it's a song and that I intentionally changed some of those lyrics. Um, for the record, I'm not endorsing the song, and I'm not even trying to knock on the artist, but I do think pop music gives us a window into how society's various systems can shape us if our eyes are not open, and if we are not diligent, okay? Now, I find it interesting that the songwriter says he has enemies, and this means people should pray for him, 
I find that interesting because we find Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew responding back and saying, actually, Drizzy Drake, (laughs) I wrote that out because I didn't think I'd say it out loud. Actually, Drizzy Drake, you've got to pray for your enemies. I'd kind of mess up the song, I guess. But the reality is, I mean, most of us actually don't really walk around with enemies in our daily life. I mean, some of us, I guess, do. But most of us don't really walk around every day like seeing enemies, at least not on campus, right? But it's probably not hard to think of people who frustrate you, people who do drain you of your energy. It's probably not hard to find people you're competing with in the classroom, competing with in the choir, competing with uh, on the court. Let me put it this way. It's probably not hard to think of people you don't want to pray for. It's probably not hard to think of people you don't hope the best for. And Jesus is offering a challenge in the midst of that. He says, those are the very people you need to pray for if you are to approach God as Heavenly Father. It's intense. I love the way the message paraphrases it. It says this. It says, when someone gives you a hard time, Respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. It goes on. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. If we are to turn to God and declare him as our Father in heaven then we must orient our lives in a way to make room for our enemies. The people who frustrate us, the people who take away your energy, the people who you find yourself competing with, the people you don't want to pray for. And this does not mean praying that they get what you think they deserve. (laughs) No, it means praying with their best in mind, praying for their good, praying for their joy, praying for them to experience the fullness of God. This sounds so over the top, but it is praying in the manner Jesus teaches us to pray. It is praying in a way that orients our lives towards God's kingdom. Have you ever noticed that all of the personal pronouns in the Lord's, in the Lord's prayer are plural? All of them. It is a prayer to our Father. It asks us to give today our daily bread to forgive us as we forgive others, to lead us and to deliver us. It is not a prayer that is merely about I, mine, and me. It is very much a prayer about us, ours, and we. In one sense, this is because Jesus is inviting us to pray with him. Jesus is inviting us to join him in relating to God as Heavenly Father. And that is already a big deal. But if we take his teaching seriously, if we look closely at what he's saying as he leads into this prayer, before he says, this then is how you should pray, if we take all of that seriously, he's also inviting each of us to consider that God is not just my heavenly father. God is also the heavenly father of my friends. God is also the heavenly father of the person next to me. God is also the heavenly father of the person who lives across the hall from me. Your heavenly father is also the heavenly father of the person who gets on your last nerve. The person you find yourself not liking. 
the person you don't want to pray for. God is also the heavenly father of the person who drains you of your energy and the person you may consider your enemy. Jesus not only invites us to join him in relating to God as heavenly father, Jesus invites us to see others as invited too. It's huge. It's radical. The question we're left to wrestle with is this. Who are you including in our when you pray our Father in heaven? When you turn to God and you say, our Father in heaven, who is included in our? Because we're called to include more than ourselves. We're called to include more than our friends. We're called to include the very people we don't want to include. That is what makes the opening words to this prayer uniquely directed to the God made known in Jesus Christ. That is what makes the opening words to this prayer distinctly Christian. You know, it would be so great to end a sermon on, you know, our Father in Heaven, to end it by saying something like, the moral of the story is that God will never let your face get stuck in the mouth of a T-Rex. You know, like, that would be great, and we all feel really, you know, encouraged I mean, that's good. That's good at times that God doesn't do that, I guess. Uh, but the Gospel of Matthew doesn't let us off that easy. It just doesn't. So I have two challenges for you. Two challenges. The first is a basic one, and the second is a deeper kind of challenge. So the first challenge, whenever you pray this week, include someone else from the ENC community. I have to say... Uh, that I had some fun with Jameson in chapel last time and talk, had some fun with all that. But what I didn't tell you was later on that summer, we were having lunch, and one of his friends was in the hospital, and we're just in the midst of conversation. He says, you know what? Let's just stop and pray for him. I mean, we had like a prayer service right there in the middle of the cafeteria. That was really inspiring. I'm not trying to put him on a pedestal, because he'll tell you himself, he's not, he's not always, he doesn't want to be on a pedestal. That's not the point. But the point is that praying for others is a challenge. It's very doable. And there's people on this campus who are all about helping each other do that well. So my first challenge is that you simply consider praying for others in your prayer life over the next week. I don't know if any of you have done Insanity, but Insanity, they do this thing. There's like the first workout, and then there's like the dig deeper workout. It doesn't look like I've done Insanity, but I have. Um, um, so I have a dig deeper challenge for you, too. Let's say you got the first one down packed, or you're like, I do that. Okay, Here's the dig deeper challenge. I want you to think of a person you don't really want to pray for. Now, it may be great. You may not actually think of someone. You may think, I don't have a person like that, and that's awesome. That's great. But I want you to take a moment and just examine yourself. Check yourself. See if there's a person you actually really don't want to pray for. And the best way to try that is to try praying for them and see what it's like. Take one week and pray every day that week for that person's good. Pray for that person to know joy that transcends all understandings and explanations. Pray for that person to experience life in its fullness. Pray that she or he would know themselves as a child of God, and that others will see that person shine forth 
as a child of God. Pray that this person finds the courage to give their best in all that they do. Pray for their good. I dare you to do that. You may find that it's difficult, but you know what? It's also life-changing. And you know what else? It's simply a part of following Christ. It's simply a part of following Christ. I don't want you to forget that next chapel, so Friday, we're going to be opening up the space at 1010. Uh, It'll be a quieter space, but it'll be open. There'll be some things to just guide you in prayer and journaling. And uh, you can use that space to pray and journal on anything you want, including this challenge, if that's something you want to do. That's just a reminder. Well, we're going to close chapel today uh, by singing a song. Uh, It's the song we sang just before the sermon. It's called Good, Good Father. But to embrace the call to approach God as our Father and to make space for others in our spiritual lives, we're going to use plural pronouns uh, during at least the last chorus. Okay? As we sing the portion of the song where we use these plural pronouns, let it be preparation for a week of truly approaching God as our Father. Let it be preparation for us to orient our lives towards God's kingdom.